Have you ever been tempted to give up or check out in your walk with God? Have you been at a place in life's journey where you felt overwhelmed and overshadowed by life's obstacles, setbacks, or heartaches? It could be you are at such a place right now, a place where you are hungering for hope. If so, then Hope Along the Journey podcast is a ministry of encouragement created specifically with you and others just like you in mind. And now, here is your host, Mark Cravens, to share a word of encouragement with you today. Welcome, friends, to Hope Along the Journey podcast. Hi, I'm Mark Cravens, your podcast host, and we're glad after the month of July break to be back once again uh, producing these Hope Along the Journey podcasts. It's great today to have, by way of Zoom, my good friend, Pastor Randy Addison. Randy, welcome to today's Hope Along the Journey podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. And Randy pastors at Trinity Wesleyan Church in good old Salisbury, North Carolina. What's a barbecue like in Salisbury, North Carolina? we got to get that important question out there first. Well, if you are a vinegar-based, loving barbecue eater, you will love it. I am not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm more the Alabama barbecue. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It is a different type of bar. It's good, but it, it's different, but it's not like good old Texas or Alabama barbecue, is it? Yeah. And then they mess it up further with the red slaw. Oh, oh, do we don't want to, we don't, I got to be careful because there's people from North Carolina that listen to this, <laughs> but, but you're right. The red slaw, it's like, who in the world thought of that? But yeah. we'll let we'll let that go. Yeah, Randy, we're glad you're here today, and we, you've got a story that I've asked you to share with our listeners, and so I want to get into that story today. In order to do that, we need to go back to the year somewhere around 1990. Tell us, uh, tell our listeners, what was happening around that time in your life when you were around 26, 27 years of age. I'd been pastoring for two years. I was in Allentown, Pennsylvania, and went there right from college. And I began having uh, what we thought were heart attack symptoms. Mm. And okay. so uh, one night, uh, following a board meeting, my board convinced me to go, which board meetings can give pastors heart attacks sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, how sure. true. How true. We, we weren't sure. But... Uh, <laughs> But, so I went to the emergency room. They uh, realized that there were some things out of order in, in my blood work. And that led to further testing eventually because the symptoms continued. Uh, followed up eventually with a cardiologist office. And they began to realize that there were some uh, arrhythmia problems mm -hmm. uh, going on in the heart. And uh, through further testing at a major uh, central hospital, uh, they were able to go through, uh, much testing there and they were determined to get to the root of it. So I, I'm very grateful for a doctor that took great interest in my, in my situation because many of them, most of them were telling me I was too young to have heart disease and, uh, they would send me home and had that happen twice, uh, from emergency rooms. Mm -hmm. And this doctor was determined to find the cause of the symptoms and then was able to diagnose me with cardiomyopathy. And I knew then that that was a disease that had some real 
uh, serious uh, possible consequences. Right. Now, Randy, I know your family, so, but I, I know the answer to this, but for those listening, tell a little bit about the history of heart issues in your family. The earliest we are aware of heart issues was with our uh, paternal grandfather, uh, Pop Addison, mm-hmm. and he died very suddenly. Uh, no warning whatsoever. Uh, died with what they would call sudden death syndrome. Mm-hmm. Appears to have done that. Uh, some years later, uh, several years later, I had a cousin, uh, 36 years of age, uh, just all of a sudden fell over dead. And again, appeared to be a sudden, mm-hmm. uh, you know, sudden death syndrome. Right. right. And uh, then a few years following his death, his father did the same. And then um, I began to develop these symptoms in my, you know, mm-hmm. 26, 27. I don't remember exactly. Right. But right. My, my later 20s. Mm-hmm. And, and you have another sibling that has some heart conditions as I, well. I do. I have two. I have a brother, my oldest brother, uh, Rick, and then the baby of the family, our sister, Janan, also. Uh, has some serious heart condition. Right, right. So it's a good thing they checked into this with your history and your and your family background of, of all of this. So what took place after that point? Because I know it was a number of years before we're going to get to the event that we're going to focus on here in just a few moments. But kind of fill us in on what what took place after that point. Okay, I. Uh... After two more years, I, I left Allentown, Pennsylvania, and took a smaller church in Alabama because physically I was that was kind of the next step physically. Um, we moved there. I continued with a cardiologist. Uh, my my heart was continuing to deteriorate, uh, trouble breathing, so forth. And while I was in Alabama, uh, it was that church eleven years. And I, uh, I remember my cardiologist that I was going to telling me I was going to have to go on disability. I was about 35, 36 years old at that time. Mm-hmm. And I argued with him. I said, I'm not going to go on disability. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so he tried again to get me to go on disability. I said, no, I said, there's no way I'm going on disability in my 30s. I won't do it. Mm-hmm. And I'm thankful I didn't because I don't think I'd be alive had I done I think I'd have just given in to the disease. And wow. so I continued on and he encouraged me to reduce my workload. Um, I did. The church assisted me in that. Mm-hmm. And um, he also started me on a new medication that he said should help what I should help, you know, mm-hmm. strengthen the weakening of my heart because cardiomyopathy is an enlargement of the heart. The larger the heart grows, the weaker the heart's function is. Mm-hmm. And so he put me on that and God gave me about 10, 10, 12 years of really improving health with the heart. And, uh, and then, uh, when I came to this church here in North Carolina, um, after I'd been here a year, I had to receive a pacemaker. Uh, then just mm-hmm. not too many years after that, I had to receive what they call an ICD, which is an implantable pacemaker along with a defibrillator. Okay. And, uh, and so that led to all that, that was over a process of 
uh, many years uh, from when I was first diagnosed. I was in my four, I was 45 when I got my first pacemaker. Mm-hmm. And then I was probably about 50 when I got my uh, ICD. Wow. That's, it's amazing that you made it all those years in between mm-hmm. the time you were initially diagnosed to when you eventually got to where you just spoke up. How many years? That's what, like about, what, 20 some years? In there, yes. something like that. Wow. Yeah, over, over twenty years. Over right. twenty years. That's amazing. Yeah. I yeah. want to ask you a question, Randy. I hadn't, I hadn't told you I was going to ask you this, but what was that like dealing with that? Did you feel like you were walking around like a walking time bomb? Was was there a lot of um, at times fear that that played with your mind? I, I know you're a very positive, upbeat person. And I love to talk to you because we always laugh our heads off when we we get together. But what was that like emotionally? And and I even think about your wife. What was that like for her knowing you were walking around with this condition? Well, my father was killed in a tragic car accident when I was six years old. Mm-hmm. And so I'd grown up without a dad. And I, Kathy and I have four children. And they were all young when I was being diagnosed these horrible, mm-hmm. you know, this horrible disease, knowing where it would ultimately lead, possibly. Right. And it did. And um, so I had a horrible fear. You mentioned fear. I struggled with fear a lot, not so much over dying myself, but over dying and leaving my kids without a father. Yeah. And uh, and my wife with that responsibility. Mm-hmm. Uh, fortunately, I'd bought life insurance uh, before all of this occurred. And so, you know, I knew my wife would be okay. And she's also a registered nurse. So, mm-hmm. you know, I knew financially she was going to be okay, but it was the, it was the pain I went through of growing up without a dad and knowing what that is and the right. loneliness of it and feeling like you're just fending for yourself. I had great fears of that. I can only imagine. And for your wife, was there, was there some fear? Did she seem to deal with this? Being a nurse, did she seem to deal with this in a in a pretty relaxed way, or were there times when it really seemed almost overwhelming to her? My wife was very kind to me. Uh, she never uh, she never allowed the fears that she carried to show. Mm-hmm. Rarely did I ever see any fear in her. Uh, she actually, when I was at my weakest points, um, she you know leading up to the big event. She was, she was my rock and, uh, Kathy's a very steady, uh, person. Um, she's, she's just an incredible person. And she was, she was the kind that she would not focus on the negative. She's a very, very positive person and she's very gracious. And she was the kind of person that, you know, I could share what I feared with her and she never, I never felt judged by it. I never, she never, uh, you know, questioned my spiritual walk because right. I, I had some fears and mm-hmm. that was, it was really God. I, I feel like God probably handpicked Kathy's personality for me, mm-hmm. knowing what I, you know, with the foreknowledge of knowing what I was going to go through. Right. Right. That's great because I think sometimes we'd, we'd kind of, we have a tendency sometimes with our spouses, we're not careful to just kind of dismiss it or, mm-hmm. Based on our own fears, we don't want them to talk about it because it stirs something within us and makes us right. afraid. So right. that's wonderful that Kathy 
was able to walk with you through that and to be such a great helpmeet for you. And it's always, you know, I, I was teasing you earlier about your picture on your website of you and your wife, but, you know, she truly, as, as I look at that picture and I hear your story, what a blessing that has been for you to have her by your side through all of this. Absolutely. So now let's get to the to the miraculous event that that eventually took place that has enabled you to be where you are today. So tell us what happened when doctors had done all they could do. What was the next step and how did all that unfold? Okay. I I got very sick. I began uh ending up in and out of the hospital with pneumonia and severe pneumonia where I would be admitted and kept for several days. Um, and we made a trip to family reunion in South Florida, where I'm from, uh, with my side of the family. And my wife didn't want to go because I was so sick, but I said, we're going. And so we went and I, and when it's time to come home, I could not even, I could hardly load luggage into the car. I tried driving. I finally had to stop and my wife had to drive home. And when I got on the way home, we called the cardiologist office and, uh, and set up an appointment. And so I went in and they had actually, it was not the cardiologist appointment. They had already transferred me. The cardiologist had already done all he could do. And then transferred me to the uh, heart failure clinic, which was specialist for, for severe cases of heart failure. And so I called them and they set an appointment the next morning. Uh, the next morning I went in to see them. They walked in the room, took one look at me and said that you're, you're being admitted to the hospital. Uh, I was admitted to the hospital. Um, and uh, I drove myself to the hospital because my wife was not with me when I went to the appointment, she'd already gone back to work. And so I drove to the hospital, walked to the room and was so out of breath. I could, I could hardly get wow. my, I got there. Yeah. And, and so that's when I met the heart transplant team for the very first time. And they were amazed that it had been that many years and well into the twenties at that time. Mm -hmm. And so that began a new chapter in this. And they looked at me and told me that I eventually was going to have to have a heart transplant. Mm -hmm. What, when you heard that at first, what, what kind of bells went off and thoughts went off? Was, was it like relief or was it more fear and uncertainty or, or just all just seem overwhelming at the time? Well, when they sent me to the heart failure clinic and the regular cardiologists were not going to see me anymore, I knew then that I was headed for a transplant. Mm -hmm. And then they confirmed it that day. And so I wasn't shocked. I think I was relieved. And I actually, mm -hmm. as weird as it sounds, I was happy mm -hmm. to know they were going to do something, try to do something to fix mm -hmm. this if I lived long enough. Wow. So how long was that journey between the time they said, you know, Randy, you're going to have to get a new heart to when that surgery took place and the heart transplant happened? It was about a year and a half. And because uh, before I could get get a heart, I had to get what they called an LVAD, which is a left assist device, a left ventricle assist device. And that's, uh, so that required an open heart surgery. Uh, but my heart was too weak for them to do the surgery. Uh, the right side of my heart was. And uh, so they put me on a special medication. Uh, I, one, my one transplant mm -hmm. 
uh, doctor uh, told me that it was a that it was a uh, what do you call it? He called it rocket fuel for the heart. That's what he called it. And, <laughs> and, and it was, it, and it's, it's Melurone, I believe, or something like yeah. that is the name yeah. of it. And, and so they put me on that. And, and within a period of six weeks, I had to wear an IV constantly. It was 24 seven IV. And um, you've probably seen my Rick, my brother, Rick possibly when he was wearing the same thing. And, and so I, you know, it works within six weeks. They, they were able to take it out and do open heart surgery and uh, implant the, uh, mm-hmm. the left ventricle assist device, which is an artificial heart pump for the left side of the heart. And so uh, they did that and mm-hmm. it's where they bore out a hole in, in the uh, left side of the heart and pump blood into the right side of the heart, which pumps it back up to the top. And, uh, so it just helps complete the cycle and, uh, that required wearing it, you know, it was, it was permanent. And I wore that 11, about 11, 10 and a half months. I think it was, I wore that. Wow. Uh, so. Wow. So eventually was it, you said about a year and a half, is that a short time or is that about normal or, or was it kind of like a, a miracle that you got a, a heart that quickly? Well, as long as the as long as the uh, artificial heart pump was working, I was not a candidate for a heart transplant. Okay. okay. And, you know, but but the heart pump. Some people wear a heart. I've talked to people that have had them five years. Uh, some wear them ten years, and they're still doing well. Mine only lasted about nine months, and okay. I and and is what happened. Um, I pushed them to get it done because my youngest daughter was getting married and I told them, I said, I am going to walk my daughter down the aisle and I am going to perform her ceremony and I'm going to the reception. And I said, when I, and I have not completely raised her, but I've done all these things. And so and I, I can just hear you saying that Randy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's and, not that you're stubborn. You're, you're just, no. you just have strength of will. Called correct? determination. Determination. <laughs> yeah, that was, my, that was my last child at home, and all the others had been yeah. married. I had three other daughters and a, two other daughters and a son, and they had all been married. I'd done all their ceremonies, walked mm-hmm. my other two daughters down the aisle, and I was walking this daughter down the aisle if I had air. Yeah. That's great. Uh, so, so they they realized I was serious when one day I said, "Well, fine." I said, "If you guys have questions whether the pump will work, then give me an artificial heart." Because that was the other option. And they about fell over when I told them that. They said, we've never had a patient tell us that. And But I, I they knew I was serious that I was going to get my daughter married. Right, right. And I told them, I said, if I die after that, that's fine. But I cannot die till she's finished raised. And that, mm-hmm. that stems from my experience with losing my own father. And yes, absolutely. In my life. And yeah. uh, so I felt good when she was married. I'd done what I had to do. And, uh, but, but God wasn't done. And so that led me to back into the hospital when things really started deteriorating with the heart pump. And, uh, that was a period of about nine and a half months. Mm-hmm. And again, the doctor walked in, looked at me and told me, he said, you're going to live in the hospital from now on until you get a heart. So that day I moved into the hospital into the IC, cardiac ICU. Wow. And how long were you there again in that cardiac ICU? 
I was in the hospital total of 50 days. My, my. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. So, so they found your heart. Yes. And the good news finally came. And so tell us a little bit about how that, that procedure went and what, what was that like getting that heart transplant? Okay. Well, I was so disappointed that I had to move in the hospital because I'd prayed and asked God I would not have to move in the hospital because I knew that was a possibility. Mm -hmm. And for, and I was, I couldn't understand God. Why, why did I have to? Uh, but once I got in there, I realized that there were ministry opportunities in the hospital and, uh, I developed some really neat friendships, still friends with some of them on, on Facebook, mm -hmm. uh, some of the staff, uh, another guy who was in there, uh, who had been in the hospital for over 200 days, uh, waiting wow. for work, mm -hmm. uh, got to really, really become good friends with him. And, um, and then I was, I was there one day and found out a pastor had been brought in and his family was there. He had kids at home still, and I got to minister to them, you know, and that was really, those were very, those were very, very rewarding times. Yeah. And, yeah. and I began to realize God had a plan in it all. And Absolutely. I remember telling one of my brothers one time, my brother, Steve, I told he and his wife, Sharon and my wife, they were all in the room with me. And I said, you know, me going through all this has to serve a bigger purpose than me getting a heart. And I began to realize that, and then God had his hand in all of it. And the peace that came from beginning to understand those things, that's, that's important mm -hmm. that you realize it's a lot more than just you living, but God's going to use the journey to encourage others. And I remember even with doctors, I would tell every doctor that came in, God created science, but he gave you the ability to understand it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and one doctor actually cried and, uh, mm -hmm. talking to me, he said, I'm not a praying man. He said, but I prayed for you last night. Wow. And that amazing. Uh, and I got yeah. to tell him I was a pastor and that, and, uh, he said, I'm, he said, I'm gonna be saying a prayer of thanks tonight because I'd improved and God had prayers, even though he was an unbeliever. And, uh, and I just trust that I will meet him in heaven someday. Yeah. So it was really, I tried to take every opportunity I could, um, mm -hmm. tried to be a fun patient because that kept me going. <laughs> and then while I was laying there, I, yeah. I had three grandsons. And while I was laying there, one of my daughters was expecting a child. And I got the found, they came and did the gender reveal in my, in my ICU room. <laughs> very kind of family. oh neat because we're laying yeah. behind and they did a, yeah. a pink it was pink and i was so excited mm -hmm. and uh i'll probably tear up telling you this but one of these days i'm gonna take that little girl out and i'm gonna tell her i'm gonna say addison her name's addison yes. i said you can help keep your paw alive because i wanted to meet my first granddaughter and now I have four granddaughters and four grandsons. So yeah. God's, God's been way more good than good to me. And yeah. You and but, I talk about our grandkids. That's such a special, absolutely. special thing to both of us. There's nothing like being a grandpa. It That's is true. So now it's, I'm asking God to let me live long enough to see my grandchildren raised. <laughs> that's neat. <laughs> you know, I love what you said, Randy, about, you know, I, I often have to remember that God is in the in-between. Right. You know, you right. went in the hospital and then you finally had the surgery 
but God was doing something in the in-between. And I think that's so important for us to understand that all along the journey, God is doing something in us and through us, for us, with us, for his glory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I Well, they told they came in to tell me one night, I've been there about six weeks living in the hospital, and they mm-hmm. came in after hours, two of them, and I knew when they walked in, they had a heart because I'd asked some mm-hmm. questions how I would know when they were coming to tell me I had a heart, if I would get one. Mm-hmm. And came in, told me they had a heart and had the doctor online, one of the, one of the transplant team doctors online. And uh, wow. I took the phone and he told me, he said, Randy, he said, he said, we have a heart for you. Mm-hmm. He said, but it's a high risk heart. And high risk meant the person could have been in prison. Uh, they could have been on drugs or something like that. Mm-hmm. And that was the second thing I'd asked God to not let me get, because I knew that was a possibility because they, they told me everything. Mm-hmm. And uh, I ended up with a high risk heart. The, mm-hmm. the individual died from a drug overdose. Wow. And um, I, I was just, you know, I was so disappointed. And obviously I was kind of disappointed in God, you know, but I talked to my wife and one of my daughters was there and our daughter, Megan, and they looked at me like, they they understood how close I was to death much better than I, Mm -hmm. and they looked at me like I was nuts for even questioning it. And I said, you know, guys, I said, we've prayed. And as we feel like God's led us to these, this team of transplant doctors mm-hmm. and, and my, you know, and we feel like these doctors are great and we've put our trust in them physically, you know, humanly. And I said, let's go with what they recommend. And they assured me it was a good heart and not been damaged. And I knew the heart went through a lot more tests than I did, mm-hmm. but I worried about disease, sure. I worried about damage, sure. all that stuff. But I knew yeah. that heart had been tested for all of that. I already knew the process it would go through. So we, we took it gratefully and, um, and God's hand was in all that too. And I got a, a, a heart that was not, you know, coming from the perfect, you know, donor that you would think of being perfect. And, uh, so, you know, and I'll, I'll share that with you when you're ready for that. But, uh, but we took the heart, I've had it uh, four and a half years, and it's healthy as can be. Praise God. Yeah. You're doing great. That's, I, I'm just amazed. Yeah, you look good. Well, you know, that's kind of an overstatement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Keep it up. I'll as as people tell me, you look good in the broadest sense of the yeah, term. Yeah. <laughs> I tell people I stand close to my wife just so people look in my general direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Doc, you got to laugh. Getting old is not for the faint of heart, is it? No, no, it's no, not. It's not. That's great. Well, tell me about this heart. I want to hear more about this this heart that you received, and what's what's this, what's this the follow-up story to that? Okay. Uh, they wouldn't tell you. They wouldn't let me know if it was a man or a woman or, you know, anything. They wouldn't tell me. And so when I came back, I, I was out of the hospital I actually, I think it was like three or four weeks post-surgery. I came back to church just to say thanks to the people. They'd been so great. The church had kept me on full salary all that time. Um, 
and I'd been relieved of all my responsibilities, you know, with people filling in for me and stuff and have a great, you know, uh, a pastor here with me, works with me, uh, Marty Fletcher, wonderful guy. And, uh, what a godsend he proved during that time. And, and, uh, and so I just came back to thank the church, but I, but I told him, I said, I don't know if I have a man's heart or a woman. I said, but I've sure been enjoying red lipstick and high heels. <laughs> Somehow they remind me of that. So. so as soon as you got out, you wanted to go to to, to Bath and Body and buy candles and yeah, lotion, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh but, man! But I, uh, but yeah. You know, so, but anyway, my my church was incredible. Mm-hmm. I I love them dearly, and I'm indebted to them as long as. Yeah. They will tolerate me. That's great. Uh, That's great. But but the heart itself proved to be an incredibly healthy heart. Uh, one year was approaching, and uh, I still didn't know if it was a man or a woman or mm-hmm. race, gender, anything. I didn't, and it didn't matter to me. Right. I just was grateful because heart was doing wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, so I had a man in my church came up to me, approaching my one year anniversary of the heart, and I was I was wanting to do something really special. And I thought it'd be really neat if I could somehow meet my donor's family and mm-hmm. and celebrate with them on the one-year mark. And so coming up to that, he came up to me all on his own and said, hey, he said, I'm very good at finding people. I can vet people, all that. He mm-hmm. said, would you be interested in me helping you find your donor? I said, absolutely. So I gave him the information I knew. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, and within about 10 minutes, he had located he had located uh, the information I needed to make a oh, contact. It's awesome. And, and yeah. so uh, there was uh, the, the, my donor was actually a 32 year old man. Uh, he was a letter carrier for the United States Postal Service. And I found out later that he'd had a back injury and I got addicted to the pain medicine. And when the back injury was corrected, he was an addict. And so he would seek this to satisfy that. So he wasn't a down and out laying in the street, homeless guy. He was a very productive person. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everybody that I've met that knew him, uh, just, he was a remarkable guy. He just had this horrible, you know, mm-hmm. demon that wouldn't let go of him. And right. Uh, right. so I made contact with a pastor uh, that was pastor in the church. He had been a member of that. He, he showed us his, his church. And so, he then made the call to the young man's mom because he was not with his wife any longer. And, mm-hmm. uh, and she wanted to meet me desperately. And so we sketched. So on the exact one year anniversary, I drove to Asheville, North Carolina and met his mom, one of his brothers and several of his friends and, and the wow. past. And, uh, so it was, it was a wonderful time. Um, and I, to this day, I have a very, very, very close relationship with his family. Yeah. And that's uh, incredible. Yeah. 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 It's very, exciting. yeah. Very- well, Randy, we're going to wrap this podcast up, but I told you before we started that oftentimes when you share this story about receiving a new heart, that you will oftentimes when you share this will make, make a ch- turn and make a spiritual application about the new heart. Would you, would you just share in these last few minutes, what kind of, what, what do you want to, what would you like to say to people that are listening today? Not just about the physical heart, but another type 
of heart. Yeah, I, you know, God wants to give us a new heart. And one thing as a pastor that hurts me and troubles me is so many people are saved, uh, but yet there's no change. Mm-hmm. And they forget that the old passes away and the new and all becomes new. Mm-hmm. And that requires a new heart. Yes, it does. And, and I believe that God wants all of us, every person to have a spiritual heart transplant. I really believe that. Mm-hmm. And, and I know that. I mean, I read the Bible mm-hmm. and I know that. And one thing I challenge people is, is when they put my new heart in, and they have to do this many times, the doctor reached his hand inside my chest after everything was all hooked up. My old heart had been cut out. The new heart had been put in place and everything stitched. And to help the heart start, he'd reach in and he would massage the heart. Mm -hmm. And that's what he did with my heart. And he massaged life into that heart again. And then the heart began beating and beating perfectly. And that's amazing. You know, I will never, I will never serve God to my fullest. Nobody will until we allow God to give us that new spiritual heart and reach his hand into our spiritual heart and massage in his holiness his goodness, his mercy, his love, yes. his forgiveness mm-hmm. that we had, we need for others. And, you know, God's in the heart massaging business of yes, he is. himself <laughs> into our hearts. And, That's right. uh, and, and I want God to do that all the days of my life I have left. Mm-hmm. I want him to, and, Amen. and I encourage people to allow him to do that in their hearts. And Amen. Uh, you know, even people who are believers, you know, we all need that. And uh, we live in a world that's very, very unfriendly to the things of God. And, mm-hmm. and if God can just continue massaging himself and his character and his love and his holiness into our hearts, I think we have a, we have a great future in him. That's so, that's a, such a powerful truth. I appreciate you sharing that because I, I hear words like the psalmist David who said, create in me a clean heart, O God. Right. Renew right. that right spirit within me. Mm-hmm. And the promise that he would take out the heart of stone and he would give right. us a heart of flesh and that he would write his laws upon the, the table of our heart. And just so right. many times the Bible talks about that. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Pastor Randy Addison, it's been great to have you here on the podcast. We'll have to do it again sometime, and uh, maybe even get your wife to join you sometime on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate this opportunity, and God's blessing on you and your church there at Kentwood. Thank you so much. And listeners, thank you for listening today to Hope Along the Journey podcast. As I say at the close of every podcast, remember that Jesus Christ is truly the hope of the world, and if you look to Jesus, you'll find hope along the journey. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and would like to know more, follow us on Facebook at Hope Along the Journey or send us an email at hopealongthejourney at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you join us again for more hope along the journey.